0: Welcome to the S2 Cognition Podcast. S2 is the official cognitive evaluation in sports from youth to pro, where athletes and coaches build
1: to win. Today on the S2 Cognition Podcast, we are joined by elite youth softball coach of the Bombers organization, Scott Smith, and the CEO of the Alliance softball organization and former player, Jamie Lowprize. Two giants in the softball industry, and we are thrilled to be a part of their vision and changing how we evaluate and train in the game of softball. These two organizations are on the forefront of the emergence of understanding the importance of cognition in softball. Last episode, we focused on the role of cognition in softball, how the S2 eval assesses players' individual processing ability, how coaches and organizations are utilizing S2 in the evaluation. This episode, we will be focusing on the training aspect. As always, please rate and leave a review on the show. If softball is anything like baseball, most of the training, as we alluded to, is physical training, working on the physical, grooving the swing, how do my mechanics look, those feel-good pitches. Dr. Jamie, let's, let's start with you. How has the cognitive aspect been neglected so far up to this point in your opinion
2: i I don't even think it's been not an intentional part of our vocabulary It is maybe the best way to maybe we've thought about it like we know you have to make quick decisions, but nobody's ever talked about cognition in the way that s two or when I've sat and talked to Scott about s two that things that from a i don't know I'm not the expert in cognition but things have been measured, right? There's, I can speak on a, a, you know, science and theory, when you test things, there's testing that's been going on. The fact that we can now apply this to our sport, I think is, is incredible because it, it has not been talked about. So we just take drills We're like, yeah, this is a great drill to work on staying through the ball. Right. And, and, but not everybody can use that drill in the same way, or maybe even making adjustments or tweaks to to certain drills that you've always used, I think we've really been missing that in our sport—a more targeted approach to to how we train. Uh, and and honestly, it's part of what I am excited about with the alliance, what we can do. But you know, it's it's almost like, hey, this is what I've always done. These are some drills I did. So yeah, you do it, but it doesn't necessarily <laughs> fit to, to that particular kid. So we're just gonna get a whole lot smarter about training
1: through through this testing. Right. And the whole efficiency, right? Because we, we talked about earlier, not every player needs the same exact method. I, I remember I had a coach uh, growing up that everyone was taught the same swing and everyone was taught the same mechanics of the swing and, and how to groove the swing. And as we're seeing, right, uh, and both of you can answer this, as we're seeing, it it's not that way. It can't all be tailor-made and everyone can't get the same approach because every player is uniquely wired brain-wise. And as Scott alluded, uh, S2 Scott alluded to it, mechanically and, and physically as well, right?
0: Yeah, and you know, I think, I think in the end, I think uh, as coaches, we, we just talked about like where Jamie talked about, it really wasn't purposely not addressed. But, it, but I think as coaches, we just, we always talk about that we could measure heart, right? That's all we, we, when we looked at a player, we were always trying to measure their heart, which is we all can equate to effort. I think we spent a lot of time. I think we've always spent a lot of time evaluating effort alongside mechanics and the decision-making stuff and the, the the cognitive aspect of it was never even in the, in the, in the process of being looked at. And I'm speaking solely for myself, but I I think I would say that most coaches fall into that category is we want to we would always try to measure someone's heart. And, uh, which is obviously a, you know, effort is a, is a, great skill to evaluate, but as a lot of kids that have a ton of heart, but their decision-making is really bad. So like it, we would either not go down a road of coaching that player, deciding on a different player, or in this case, I'm speaking, I'm absolutely speaking myself, maybe coaching them wrong. And so that's, uh, that's something to consider now is how you approach that process.
1: So, you know, Coach Scott, along those lines, why does the – I guess the element of training the specific decision-making, why does it register so much with you? Is it because of what you just alluded to in that aspect of, man, have I been doing it wrong?
0: Yeah, I think I think I start there. You know, I start, I, I'd like to try to do a better job of coaching players the right way. Um, I was speaking to a really prevalent hitting coach in the college game who's very heavily invested in utilizing S2. And they had a, a transfer player who's really, really, Super successful player from another school come in and this he had his initial meeting and this this registered with me so much. He, he said we had our initial meeting together and talked about the goals that this player had set out, wanted to do. And one of the things that she wanted to do was implement a leg kick in her swing. And he did the S2 testing and she was poor in timing. Right? Like, like implementing a time another timing mechanism that you already struggle with timing, you have great rhythm, but you you don't time well, right? So us creating more more stuff to your swing would only make it worse. Like those are the type of mistakes as coaches. I promise you I've made in 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 time. And this coach said to me outright, I've made mis- he's made mistakes doing that. So it's really cool to know a lot more about your player and then develop the type of training that it takes to maintain their success and build on it. And I think that's the cool thing that comes with knowing more about your players and their cognitive uh, skill sets.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to jump into the training aspect. So, just to set the table, when we think of training, right? It's 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 not to get better at the eval. It's not to change your scores on the eval. S two Scott, can you talk about uh, S two cognition's approach to the training aspect of cognition in the context of sports, specifically softball?
3: Here. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think you just made an important point. You know, the evaluation tells you how you're wired, but the training has to be done on the field. You want to get better at playing the game of softball. And um, and so that, that requires a, a, a somewhat of a different approach than has been offered in the past. You know, when we came out of the decade of the brain, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, everybody was enamored with these brain training apps and gadgets and whack-a-mole boards and, you know, do this iPad app or this iPhone app, five minutes a day, it's going to make you a better hitter. And it would be really cool if that worked because that would make us all better at just about everything we, we set our hearts to, to do out to do. Uh, unfortunately, that's not how it works. The, the demands on the softball field are very unique. Uh, arguably some of the most challenging, sitting in a batter's box less than 400 milliseconds to make split decisions and organize action, arguably some of the most demanding aspects of human performance. You'd be hard-pressed to find other settings that require so many decisions and so little time in organizing your visual and your motor system in such a precise way. I mean, unbelievable. So that said, the training has to be specific to softball. And so we kind of, when we came in, we saw a lot of these efforts using technology, and technology is great. We're a bunch of tech, technology geeks ourselves, but at the same time, it's not what the brain is doing on the field. And so we stepped back and said, look, let's, let's just make smarter drills. Let's keep the bat in the hand. Instead of putting the bat down and picking up an iPad, let's keep the bat in the hand Let's link what you rapidly see to what you rapidly decide to what you rapidly have to do. And the best way to do that is in the game of softball, on the field, in the cage, where you are changing the the visual information, changing pitches, changing speeds, um, setting up the hitter, challenging the hitter, just like they're challenged in the game but in a structured, progressive way. And so we don't just come up with a single drill and say, hey, go do this drill. It's going to make you a better hitter or give you better timing. It really is a thoughtful way of structuring a progression of drills from real controlled drills that are isolating a decision system, like timing uh, that's been mentioned or impulse control, and then progressively introducing more challenging versions of, that drill or new drills that incorporate more of the complexities of the game and working your way into the actual game environment. Um, There's a fancy term, I promise this will only be a fancy term I use, but there's an old principle in psychology called systematic approximation. Your training must systematically approximate the environment in which you're performing. And so for a softball player, your drill's got to start real controlled and basic, but then systematically progress to become more like what you face when you suit up and you uh, step into the box or step onto the field and have to make those quick decisions. That's how we structure our drills. That has been demonstrated to achieve transfer because ultimately you want to perform better on the field.
1: That's exactly right. And, you know, Coach Scott, I know in the first episode you alluded to how the development part of this, you're still trying to see some of these girls, especially your younger teams that are now getting to the 16 year old team. And I'd love for you to talk about some of these drill concepts that you've seen and some of the improvements that have been made or what your thoughts are on the drill package themselves and how they how they can help these players in the efficiency of their training.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think that's been one of the the, the more unique things we've gained from utilizing S two. I'm I'm fortunate, I'm blessed. Bobby Buchanan, who's heavily involved, involved with S two, uh, is uh, here at our facility, so I feel like I have this huge advantage of having this resource database with Bobby. <laughs> and so we spent a lot of time um, talking about the drill concepts and what we're doing, and we've even kind of tried on our own end to to maximize some other options and trying to do what exactly what Scott's talking about is keep the bat in the hand. And we've done things like use two different hacks. One's a baseball hack, hack attack and one's a softball and they only get to hit the baseball, right? So they're trying to ID the white baseball coming out in real time versus the, the, the yellow softball and making those split second decisions that coaches uh, that Scott's talking about. Um, you know, we've, we've gone to where they're really having to identify, uh, in their own brain cells, like being able to pick up tails, like we're having them watch video. Um, we use two different grades, sh- uh, do two different colors of green shaded, um, jugs balls that come out of our hacks. They all, they both, they spin differently. And so their job is to lay off one and hit the other. I mean, like you're legitimately trying to stress their sensory system when it comes to decision-making. Um, and I think that that's been some of the cool things is, is watching the players we know perform well in this, continue (laughs) to perform well, right? Like it's just, and they do better at some of the drills than others. And then seeing the kids who we think are going to probably struggle, struggle, but then they're starting to develop these skill sets that give them a better understanding of some things they've got to do better, right? And, and how to get better at it. So it's just been really cool to be part of that and, and to do some of the. The stuff we do in training to try and, uh, you know, pick our, our performance levels because at the end of the day, that's our job is to play better softball.
1: It's amazing to me every time we talk to coaches the amount of creativity that goes into each one of y'all's. It blows my mind. You guys never cease to amaze me. The level of creativity you have in trying to change and 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 challenge your players I'm I'm always fascinated by that. So it's so fun to hear you guys talk about you know, the unique challenges you're trying to portray on onto your player.
0: Well, and I think it's really cool because we'll do we'll do the drill at the beginning of the day. We'll do the beginning of the drill at the beginning of the day where you're hitting the baseballs and laying off the softballs. And at the end of the practice we're making it exactly the opposite. So that their brain has to turn that around and they're seeing a different pitcher. And it's just like seeing a different arm. And uh it's just been cool to see players thrive and and growing at That's not how we would have trained prior to S2.
1: It's just not how we would
0: have done it. We'd have done some, some fun stuff, but it wouldn't have had the same intent. And I think that's the important part.
1: I appreciate you saying that meaning Scott with S2. We, we, we talk about that all the time, the intention, the, the meaning of the drill, what, you know, when, when, uh, Dr. Scott S2 Scott goes out to these, these teams and they, they say, Hey, we watch this drill. You know, the first question you always ask is, What's the meaning of this drill? What what's the goal of this drill? What are we trying to get the athlete better at here? I, and I can't remember which one, uh, whether it was Coach Scott or S two Scott talked about chase rates. But S two Scott, I'd love I I know we have some some really cool stories about real life examples of chasing. So can, can you I guess set the set the table for what is chasing, and then what are some of these areas uh, specifically? I think it was in baseball that we saw. You know, kids and in colleges uh, lower their chase rates uh, with their players in the decision making.
3: Yeah, no, it's a great score. I know chasing well. I knew it well as a player. <laughs> um, the, uh, let me just comment on one thing Coach Scott mentioned, and I, I think that's right. You know, our approach is, has never been to tell coaches how to coach. And I think coaches have a ton of creativity. Uh, At the same time, you know, the opportunity for us to give some new language, new insights, and then give some principles to make their job more efficient or to unlock the creativity, Uh, put some bumpers in the lane and direct the creativity to the most efficient way to train a system and the most um, effective ways to to get the, the biggest bang for the effort. You know, that's that's our job and that's our intent, but you're exactly right. I mean, there are drills out there. You can make just any, you can do anything and make it complicated and difficult, but you're exactly right. The intent behind it is what was was really a concern of ours. What system are you trying to work? What aspect of the decision-making process are you trying to isolate and build? And, and where do we start to build that in someone who may struggle and an athlete who may struggle with that system? And how do we progress that? in a way that's going to build mastery and, and, and lead to maximum impact in the game on the field. And, um, you know, chasing is a good example. Chasing, uh, a simple definition is, is swinging at a pitch you don't want to swing at. And that could most commonly is outside of the strike zone. Um, you can still chase a pitch within the strike zone if you're not looking for that pitch. And so you may be sitting on an inside pitch, you um, and chase something that's an outside strike, but it's outside of your intent. And so it's, it's swinging at anything you don't want to be swinging at. And uh, and that's right. So uh, every pitch out of the hand creates an impulse to swing, right? So as soon as that, that ball, even before the ball's leaving, there's some kind of cues that some hitters can pick up. But it, certainly as it exits the hand, the, the eyes start picking up details, the spin pattern, the exit trajectory, Information about the pitch that is processed in the brain very rapidly, and that information starts feeding to your motor system because your motor system needs to know, hey, where's this pitch going? Potentially, I got to start loading up the the bat path and the and the swing program to deal with that pitch. And so every pitch, uh, unless you're three zero hard taking, every pitch creates an impulse to swing, and that impulse activate your motor system. I mean, that swings ready to go. And some brains have a hard time holding back any kind of activation of their motor system. And so they're more apt to go after pitches. Everything looks good out of the hand, those kinds of hitters. And some brains are really equipped with an incredible ability to hold back those initial impulses until they make that decision. Do I want this or not? Um, Impulse control is one of the best analytical statistical predictors of chase rates. We've seen that in professional baseball, and we have actually set out to train that. Can you train uh, to be less impulsive going after pitches, Uh, reduce chase rates? And to stop yourself from swinging a pitch, you actually have to activate an inhibition system in the brain, a stopping system in the brain. Your go system and your stopping system are different systems in the brain. And we tend to train the go system, right? Swing, swing, swing. We don't train the take system, the laying off pitches. And softball, like baseball, you take more pitches than you swing at in many instances. And so we're neglecting the inhibition system. You can actually train that. And we've done that in in some elite, highly talented baseball players at a facility we work closely with. We've seen it applied at, at the college level. Well, we, we train kids over four to six weeks to lay off a high fastball that's up and out of the strike zone, which most young hitters love to chase. I'm, I get, my understanding is that happens in softball too. Uh, there's something appealing about that high right at the eyes uh, fastball. Um, and so we we actually set out for four weeks committed to training their inhibition system to shut down faster when they saw that that high pitch, and we had some really creative uh, drills and approaches that were really using the science of how we train inhibition to lay off that pitch. And we saw a remarkable reduction. They were chasing in our pre-test in a in a cage test, a really hard t- hard test, to the tune of about fifty five percent. That's how hard it was. That's a high chase rate. And then we reduced it down to thirteen percent at the end. Um, it was such a dramatic improvement. We knew the principles were on base, but that improvement was so remarkable. We did it for breaking balls down and away and saw the exact same pattern. And so that you, you can train the brain to lay off pitches more effectively. It, uh, and, and so these are the exciting things as we move aggressively into softball and partner with the Alliance and with great coaches uh, like Coach Smith and start thinking about how to apply these. I think the exciting piece is yet to come, where we're learning more about how to train, how to, we're experimenting a little bit and helping athletes become uh, better decision makers and learning what is the, what's the secret sauce for every athlete to, to improve their game. Sorry, that was long-winded.
1: No, it was fantastic it's fantastic. answer. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really glad you <laughs> There, because it, it really does lead me to the next question. I, I want to ask uh, Dr. Jamie about the impact we can have on training at a younger level in the game of softball. You know, what is to come and what will the impact on the game be?
2: Yeah, I, I enjoy just sitting and listening too. And I always am going to think back to, to my own playing days or, or different things, but what. I think what's fascinating, and probably people even listening to this, are like, hey, that's great if you have access to this information and you have access to these drills. And that's hopefully what together we're going to do. Because you guys think about youth sports, how many coaches are, are volunteers, or parents? It's not their full-time job, right? Or at least in youth softball. Mm-hmm. A lot of our coaches, you know, they're doing it because they love it, they're doing it because they have a kid on the team. And so their intent is to help the kid 100%, right? They're all there. So they're probably going to go Google some drills and like, okay, or maybe I did play and, and these are the drills I use. Right well, now, if we can get them more informed training, how much better? Cause it, efficiency is key, right? You, like Scott said, even with his bombers team, he doesn't get to see them every day. And that's, that's usually with youth sports. Hey, they spend time with a hitting coach perhaps, or they're hitting in the backyard. We've got one practice during the week, maybe one of the weekend or playing games on the weekend. So if I only have a little bit of time to work with my, my players, let's get them some more informed training and better training and variations mm-hmm. of, of those drills. So they're really getting better on these, these core concepts. I think that's what I get excited about. You know, I was even, I taught lessons when right after getting done playing college professionally, I taught lessons and I just used drills that, Hey, I did these and so. I'm, but I'm looking at their mechanics And trying to work on that what if i would have had access to their cognition and then i would have had access to these drills and we're working each time on these specific and now we're um what was that big old word you use this is the second time i've heard scott use it the uh systematic (laughs) approximation i'm gonna sound really smart now when i when i use this but it but we really can i think by working together and, and getting more of this data and we're going to build up this large ecosystem of data. We we can better inform the the people that want to go help. Now we're going to give them some tools uh, so they can have a little bit more, better, more informed training.
3: That's and that awesome. Makes me- comment. I, I love what Dr. Jamie just pointed out, and it actually has been pointed out a couple of times here. But you know, the other one of the other motivating aspects of of our philosophy on training and drills and bringing it to the softball field was was exactly what she pointed out. Um, these have to be drills and concepts that you can incorporate into your practice. And it, it's not like we're asking coaches to change their whole philosophy. It, it, we had to integrate these concepts into their existing drills and strategies and give them some ideas about how to tweak things. If, frankly, a lot of these drills also can be executed in your backyard. I do it with, you got to see the junk i put my kid through um we go out there and we tinker and i test the limits of of timing and trajectory prediction and where it's crossing the zone and and but there you know i'm doing front toss and soft toss and uh you know you it's cool when you can have these hack attack elites or these fancy uh, pitching machines where you can set sequences of pitches and variety of pitches but setting up you know we we, we think about drills if you have One machine, two machines, changing speeds, masking that, playing music in the background so you can't hear the spinning wheel kick up or or tick down, front toss, soft toss. I mean, you know, we're absolutely thinking about everyone that's potentially involved in helping this athlete get better. And um, so that was, I, I just, I love that you pointed that out because I think that's an important part. You can get better at these things whatever your resources may be.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and coach Scott on those lines, I mean, you even, you even talked about how the differences in your 14 year olds and now you're seeing them at 16. I wanted to ask you as let's say a younger, a younger player who is not physically developed like they should be. And, and, you know, as they will, as they mature and get bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, I mean, we see that with college players and even professional players are still growing. They're still getting faster and stronger. Um, what's the value of, even though I might not be seeing the results right now, what would the value be to someone who hasn't physically matured? Like they, like they wish to, to this point, or like other people have, you know, the constant grind of continuing to, uh, work on these drills in their efficient areas.
0: Yeah. You know, we've always called that softball IQ, right? Like that's what we called it, right? We didn't know what we were talking about as we said it, (laughs) that's what we called it. And how often, you know, we're fortunate inside our academy, you know, we have as many as 15 teams between 14-year-olds and 18-year-olds that are trying to play on our top teams in our program. And we have some physically developed younger athletes who are far ahead of their peers, who are more physically gifted. But we've got some, some, some players who are still in that, that evolution of their physical stature. Who are just intelligent athletes on the field, and they 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 approach things in such a more unique way. And I think it levels the playing field, right? I just think it does. Yeah. I think you know, I, I think it allows the that player with the the heady player. We let's like all these. I always laugh about. I thought about all these things we've called players are heady. They have moxie. They have all these different things, right? We didn't even know what we were saying, <laughs> right? But we now we can. We can kind of label that, yeah, no, that's what that is, and that's what that is, and that that makes more sense. But it makes sense to me now to see those less gifted athletes physically be able to perform side by side or play on the same team or play against those players, and you know why they're able to perform at that level. Like you, you would see that now. I have a better understanding. I have almost have a. I think I have a better appreciation for it, right? Mm -hmm. Like now, I'm now I'm looking at it like uh I, I, just as another example on the flip side we have a really gifted player in our program who makes poor decisions right and now i have a better understanding of some of the things that that athlete needs to develop on for us to get that person where we want to get that athlete to so i just think it i think it's just the life cycle of an athlete and i think some of them are going to just be more cognitively advanced than others just like others are going to be more physically advanced than others and i think If we can marry the two together and figure out we're already, we're always training, you know, they're always going to strength and conditioning, they're always going to these other outlets that create better athletes. But I think as we um, prioritize cognitive development and uh, that side of the training, um, I call it the life cycle of their training development, if we start to prioritize that the way it should be prioritized and put an emphasis on that and understanding it for one, and then developing it uh, through training. Uh, Secondly, I think we're going to see a better player come out of it. And, uh, And I think that's, to me, that's what makes what the Alliance has prioritized, which is a couple of things. One is this capturing of the data and the why behind it and help being able to share that information easily with players, coaches, for potential college coaches, all those, those outlets that need this information, but at the same time, making it so accessible to players. Like there is a big disparity in um, equity in our, in our sport, whether you call it, whether it's softball or baseball. And so we always trying to be conscious of the inequities that exist in players being able to have access to the same sort of opportunities to train and to be able to get their data and those kind of things. So I think, This is just another just extremely cool thing to put into place uh, and prioritize it for our athletes. And I think that's what's unique about what we're talking about is it's never been done at this level. I promise you, in softball, it's never been done at this level.
1: Coach, you're you're really hitting on something I find really fascinating. If we look at the physical nature, you just said you've got a player who's great uh, and we're trying to work on her cognition you know, when as a hitter, you want these feel good. You want these, oh man, I got to work on, I got to get my bat path right. We talked about the mechanical piece. We want these feel good things. But if you look at the physical nature of training and getting stronger and getting faster, your body, when you weight lift is pushing to failure until I can't lift anymore to get stronger. So it's interesting when we look at the brain and you challenge some of these players in their weaker areas and they're getting frustrated you can see them making the wrong decision at time and time again what what we're doing is we're we're exposing them to get them better so that next time they see those things or see that pitch they don't ch- hopefully they don't chase or it goes down that's what I think is, is – this is more of an observation than anything, and you're, feel free to comment afterwards. But it's fascinating. We accept it in f- the physical nature, but when we start talking about the swing decisions, now it's like, oh, I, I don't want to do that anymore. You know, Five minutes in, I've already had enough. Let's just move on to something else. I, I can't wait to see your experience in that when, you, when you're working with the player and realizing, hey, this is for your benefit to get you better because you'd rather fail here. I've heard this from Paul Phillips, our guy on staff you'd rather fail with me in here than fail out there in front of thousands of people or on the back of your baseball card, right?
0: No, no doubt. It's, it's funny. I'm I'm almost half having to temper myself with how much I think I know. Uh, now that I know about players, <laughs> we were literally on a field the other day. and We were, we were working on cuts and relays with our, with our outfielders and our infielders and our catchers. And inevitably we had catchers saying to cut the ball when they shouldn't cut it. They were having trouble with trajectory estimation. And I'm, I'm acting like I'm really smart and I'm looking at Bobby trajectory estimation. Like he's like, no, like you know, like, but but you're that they're not, you know, now all of a sudden I'm starting to see some of these things in real time, as if I'm looking at a at a dashboard of what some of those things we need to work at, right? And impulse control. I she wants to say cut. She wants to. It's in her, it's already in her and you're you're asked, you're we're cutting the ball for no reason. Like it's good. Look at the trajectory of the ball things I never considered before, not ever. And so now we spin we have a whole separate field that our catchers go through <laughs> a whole level of training and we shoot balls at them from a pitching machine in center field. Wow. They don't know how hard it's coming, right? And so like in our first baseman, are coming across working on either cut or not. Like they're working on trying to develop a better decision-making. We never trained our catchers like that. Like, you know <laughs> I mean? Like, so it's just, that's an example of us figuring it out a little bit now that we know a little bit more about our players and what they do well and what they don't do well.
3: That is so cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. No question about it.
2: Just a piggyback on what you guys are saying too about um, you want I know we're talking more about the the training, but I also think what we're about to change from an S2 and Alliance standpoint and with all this data is recruiting and go back to that example of the, the athlete that we can see, right. And, and she's at, 14 years old, she's six foot tall. She's, you know, she can bench press this, she can run this, but cognitively she hasn't developed. So number one, maybe we have higher expectations for her because of her physical skill, but we really haven't developed her cognitive. And I I think even opposite of the, maybe because I'm partial to the the five one athlete that might not have the measurements off the chart on athleticism, but man, she can process information. She can make great decisions. and, And she's in a key position. Maybe she is that catcher. That, that can process decisions really, really well. So I thank goodness we've changed recruiting to where the 14 year olds aren't committing to college anymore. But I can really <laughs> imagine the mistakes we were making because we were only looking at their physical tools. We had no concept of, of their cognition. So I, I know we're talking training, but I'm, I'm pumped about what we're gonna do together of providing colleges and providing athletes with the information that's ultimately gonna help in, in really
1: important recruiting decisions. I'm so thankful that you alluded to that. So I appreciate you, Jamie, jumping in there. Anytime, anytime you want to jump in, go ahead. Just come on. Shut me down. I, I, people would much rather listen to you two talk than me. <laughs> uh, S2 Scott, real quick before we get into the last piece of our discussion here today. What's the importance for someone so young to identify this area and then specifically efficiently train at a younger age, as opposed to waiting. I mean, we've said it plenty of times on this podcast. I wish I had it when I was their age. Why is that statement said so often?
3: Yeah. And I think we've kind of all alluded to that, uh, the answer. And I, I think, you know, it's a competitive world out there. And at the same time, every athlete, uh, or the vast majority of athletes wanna perform their best. (laughs) When when you put so much effort and time and energy and money as a parent into your kid and your your kid's success, you you want your kid to reach uh, his or her potential. And um, this is just another piece of the puzzle. And I'm biased. I think the brain's pretty important in everything we do, especially on the field. But this is an important part of the game, decision-making. We've heard this from from uh, a, 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 someone who played at a high level and, and someone who coaches at a high level. I mean, the, the, uh, Scott and Jamie have just made it abundantly clear that decision-making is a critical part of the game. And so the sooner you can start working on that, not only are you going to reap some benefits right here and now as you get better at that at the level you're playing, but you – you really are preparing your brain for the next level when things get faster and more complicated. And so there, it, it really is a win-win proposition. I think if you delay and wait on this, um, even if you have a Lamborghini for a brain, but you never drive it in an environment where it's being stressed and challenged and taking advantage of that speed, you're you're going to be stuck in first gear for a long time. And so I think working on these things now developing these now is just going to set you up for success here and now and and as you you move up the levels um it, you want to be a complete player you pay attention to your physical your technical your emotional effort side of things we've talked about that and now your cognitive and um and I think this is just, uh, you know, a well-rounded athlete's going to pay attention to this aspect of performance and w- be motivated to work on this and and uh, train uh, their decision making at a young age.
1: Before we move into the last piece uh, of the podcast, I- I'd like to give both of you guys an opportunity, Coach Scott and uh, Dr. Jamie, to shamelessly plug whatever you're working on, whatever you guys got going on. So if you guys want to go ahead and plug what you're doing and the, uh, the great things that you're doing, we're so thankful to be a part of what you guys are doing. So go ahead and give, give shout outs wherever you need to.
0: Well, I'm just fortunate that I get to spend as much time as I do on the softball field and, and, and people give me the opportunity to coach their, their kids. So that's my plug to that. But I will tell you this, um, we're, I'm part of the alliance. I, I'm, I'm proud to be part of the alliance and what we're doing. And I, l- I know Jamie will elaborate on it too. But the role that that S two that the role that data capture and us providing insight on players a deeper dive into how wh- how and why they are the athletes that they are I think is going to be the thing that takes our sport to the next level. And I think that's what's exciting about partnering with S two and doing some of the things that uh, we're looking to do together, I know, which will be really exciting things. And so for me, I think that's the most exciting part of this, is I already can tell you firsthand how big of an impact it's making on our bomber players. And so I'm excited for what that means for everybody else's players. going to make it harder for me to figure out how to beat them on the field, (laughs) but I think that's what makes our sport better. And I think that's the cool part about that. Um, And uh, that's what keeps pushing us and that's the neat thing about this. So, I'm excited to be part of that uh more
1: than anything else. Thanks, coach Jamie. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I can elaborate a, a little more too and just really piggyback off that. I think Scott and I are very similar in the sense we're we're both motivated by making players better and using information to to help make players better and and to push our sport forward. I think uh and we might go about it in different ways, right? I, I don't coach a team right now. I, I don't run a, an organization. Um, but that's why we have the Alliance. We're all in on, on the Alliance Fast Pitch because really it is our mission to put the player first and to bring in tools and resources, combine our resources. I, I, I've asked Scott before because Scott has been the leader and, and probably one of the most forward-thinking coaches in our sport. At looking in data I'm like you could keep this to yourself you, you don't have to share with everybody but that doesn't make everybody else better so i you know i applaud him for that too he's the first one to come and say hey when you look at this from from an alliance standpoint but that was you know it was this initiative with the alliance fast pitch by a, a lot of leaders in our sport that are are motivated to to make players better in the game to to come together and combine our resources and super excited about uh, s2 cognition being one of those resources and what we're going to do we're We're getting ready to, this is my plug, but we're getting ready to launch what we're calling the Future Stars Series. Um, And that's, I just think it's going to be eye-opening to athletes, to parents, to coaches, to college coaches. Um, Hopefully this is the foundation for what we're doing. I I drew out this illustration because I'm very visual. Um, Scott Wiley can diagnose me later here of what, what that means. But just this full cycle in player development, where we're evaluating players, we're getting data on players. We're referencing that data. What does that actually mean? We're comparing it, you know what where does that compare to player to their peers to uh, different levels of college and play? Where does that compare to pr- the pros? you know And then ultimately, how do they train to go get better? So then you can retest and, and start that cycle all over again. So a lot of people in, in youth softball, Um, they might do one portion of that, or they might operate in, in silos and we're with the right partners. We want to bring the full picture, um, and that full 360 degrees identification, evaluation training, and and let's get better. So really, really exciting things to come. I think we've just scratched the surface. Um, we just collected a little bit of data with S2 and via the Alliance. Imagine when we have this national database of, of the best or every level of youth softball player data, I think, uh. I think we're really going to change the the way college coaches recruit, the way that that coaches train, and and the way the players even understand, you know, why this is super important. So, I, I'm excited to to work with you guys and appreciate y'all uh letting us jump on here.
1: Oh well, I love that the main goal for both of you is to to progress the sport, right? To pay it forward. Let's get the sport to be better. I, I think that's incredibly valuable. When you look at the sport as a whole, we want the sport to be pushed forward and challenged more. I love that that's both your goals. Um, We didn't get to do this to the first part, but we usually end each podcast with three completely random or funny questions. It has nothing to do with anything that we've talked about, uh, but because we did a two-parter, we just saved it for the second piece to make sure the listener stays on board. Uh, So I'm going to talk, I'm going to ask each of you a question. So Dr. Jamie, you're going to be first. All right, uh, can you share your favorite memory that you had while you were in school? Could be anything. Could be any memory.
2: Oh, that one's—I'm usually not a good leadoff hitter, but that one's easy. Uh, 2008, <laughs> I, I was playing in the, the Women's College World Series. I played for Texas A&M, and uh, my last career game did in on a loss. But my last ever win was extra innings win against Florida to, to go to the the World Series, the national championship, or sorry, the national championship game. Um, And I'll never forget that moment in Oklahoma City and celebrating with my teammates and looking around. There's like 9,000 people there. So favorite memory of of all time uh, in school and in college.
1: What an incredible feeling. I would love to know. (laughs) Unfortunately, I never get to have a feeling like that. Where's 9,000 people watching me play? Well, easy. Coach Scott, (laughs) this one's for you. Um, If you could rid the world of one fast food restaurant, assuming you eat fast food, uh, you know, that chain that, that you're going to throw away for everyone, what is it?
0: Yeah, uh, I eat a lot of fast food, so I'm, I'm like an expert. Yeah, I'm an expert. When you're a coach and all you are is a ball, <laughs> I, do, I don't know that there's anybody that has more insight on this than me. <laughs> but I will rid the world of In-N-Out because the comparison of In-N-Out to Whataburger in Texas is not even real. That's not real. Right. Wow. That's no, not, no, nothing bad towards my buddies in California. But don't think y'all making a hamburger better than the water burger. I mean, it's just not happening.
1: (laughs) Hey, Scott, you got anything to say about that, mister?
3: No, my, my father grew up uh, eating at the original In-N-Out burger. um, (laughs) Just on the outskirts of LA. I'm sure he would have something to say, but uh, you know, I'm not going to, yeah. I'll eat any burger anywhere, anytime. So,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I never said I wouldn't eat the In-N-Out out Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gonna, yeah, like,
3: I, I would I be hard pressed to get rid of a a burger joint if I had to rid. Yeah, yeah period. period. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I hope they don't uh, come cancel us after I if after we shouted them out. So maybe that wasn't the best question to ask. Uh, this question, the last question is going to be for both of you. So how you answer it, don't really care. I'd love to hear, but one of my favorite things to do is ask people their most embarrassing public moment. Um, so if you can reach deep down and give me your most embarrassing public moment, I know that's tough, uh, but I'd love to hear it. And I know they make for great stories.
0: Um, I was in the army for 28 years and I was a private at uh, basic training. And one of the, the fun things you get to do is stand in formation at the position of attention for hours upon hours at a time at like ceremonies. And I was the guidon bearer holding the guidon for our platoon in a pass and review ceremony that lasted about an hour and a half. It seemed, it seemed like eight hours, but it's in the, the heat. It was 100 degrees heat. And I guess I had my legs locked for too long. And I completely passed out and face first in front of about a thousand people at this maybe mm. like literally like just completely fell asleep and just.
3: Is there, a, U- is there a YouTube video then?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad there wasn't YouTube back then. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty embarrassing. I didn't hear it because I was asleep, you know. I think we were still laughing. They finally got me up. But, yeah, that's my most embarrassing
1: moment.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. My most embarrassing moment. I was hoping – I was really sitting here trying to think because one popped up, but I was trying to not use a softball reference, but I, I can't think of anything else. So, um, junior year, we're playing – actually, we're playing University of Oklahoma. We're playing at home. And I'm playing left field. I had just gotten moved from second base to left field. So, like, not a whole lot of reps out there. Uh, and the that's like a sky, you've been in college station. It was like a fifty mile an hour wind just coming straight in from from left field. I' know Susan Ogden, I know who it was. She squares up this ball and I read it, and I know it's going out, so like I'm headed back to the fence and the ball gets caught up in the wind and it just goes straight up and dies and it like it lands right in front of me. The embarrassing part is it's on TV. They can't see wind, right? like so there's clips of. it. <laughs> But where they don't see the wind, they just see this idiot left fielder like sprinting back and then backtracking. <laughs> the ball. Like that, I guess that was it was embarrassing to me because, like, I pride myself on on defense too. And the things you couldn't see with with measuring wind, but it happened to me live, national television just totally missed. <laughs> but, guys, when
0: your greatest moment is you're, you're in the World Series, you hit, yeah, you hit yeah, yeah, like, yeah,
3: who yeah. even
2: remembers yeah. that,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. I
2: tried to think of so I know I've done stupid stuff. <laughs> but I was
1: embarrassed. <laughs> Coach Scott, Dr. Jamie, S2 Scott, thank you guys so much for joining us uh, today on these uh, two part episodes of what we're trying to do with cognition and softball, how we're trying to push the game forward, how we're trying to develop better players. Really appreciate your time today and really look forward to the partnerships moving forward, guys. Thanks so much for your time.